Lord, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, that we have been set free by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, I just pray as we go to your word right now, Lord, that you would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. And Lord, I do pray even now, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, Lord, you'd soften their heart and open their eyes to your love, your grace, and your infinite mercy. Lord, we pray your kingdom would be added to today. So Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said... Amen. God bless you guys. Go and grab a seat. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Continue our verse-by-verse study. Through the new... Somebody surprised me with this today. I don't know what to do with myself. You didn't know... I've been using this rickety old uh, mic stand and man, look at this. All right. Okay. I want to encourage you, come on Wednesday nights, we're going through Judges, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we're in Judges 19. As you know, we finished off 2 Thessalonians last week, and since we're going right through the Bible, that brings us to 1 Timothy. Now, some background on 1 Timothy, each time we start a new book, I like to give you the context and what's happening at that time. I want you to know that even though chronologically in the book itself, they're in order, you go from First and Second Thessalonians to First Timothy, there's actually a great deal of time relative to Paul's ministry between those two books. First and Second Thessalonians, believed by many, myself included, were probably the first two books that Paul wrote. And, and uh, First and Second Timothy and Titus, known as the pastoral epistles, and we'll talk about that as we go through them, were actually the last letters, more than likely, that Paul wrote just before he was beheaded. 2 Timothy is really almost like his farewell or his, you know, his last will and testament to Timothy, if you will, right before he's put to death. He writes it from prison. But we get to 1 Timothy, and these, are, uh, these next three epistles are known as the pastoral epistles. Now, you might be sitting there saying, well, I'm not a pastor, so I guess I can take the next 12 weeks off. But the truth is that it's not just a message for pastors, though it certainly is that, and those in leadership in the body of Christ, but it has a great application for the body as well. Because Paul doesn't just speak directly to how pastors should be in the character of those men, and actually the women as well who who may serve in leadership within a body, that God has a specific calling upon all of our lives, and he talks specifically about the church as well as how it should function. I love that... This is one of his last letters because every time you get to the last words of somebody, to me, they take a heavier weight. You know, in Acts chapter 20, Paul gave his last words to the Ephesian elders. That to me was the first uh, pastor's conference anywhere in the Bible. Acts 20, he calls the elders from Ephesus and that's where he's writing this letter to 1 Timothy. Timothy is now the pastor in Ephesus. We'll get into that in a moment. But he said to them, the last words he said to them, he said, you're never going to see me again. You'll probably never see me again. And you know what? Here's the last words I want to say to you. And he said to them, I have not failed to de- I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. His last words were that I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And you know what? When we hear those last words, again, they take heavier weight. And the same is true as we look at these last epistles because Paul knows he's about to go be with the Lord and he's preparing for that and he's giving ministry away to the next generation. He's giving it away to Timothy and to Titus and he's preparing them to be the pastors in the cities where he had planted churches. I love these these letters so much that as a pastor and those in leadership, I believe that If you're in those types of ministries or that's something you desire to do, you should probably read through these three or four times a year. The reason being that it helps you keep your focus on what really matters and what God's calling really is for the church today. You know what? There's a lot of confusion about what the church should be doing today. Amen? A lot of confusion. It's a mess. And you know what? Paul's going to deal with that as we look at the first 11 verses this morning. But I I love, again, the, the very directness that he has in addressing the things that really matter. Now, let's talk quickly about Paul. Who was this man again? He was the man who God used to write most of the New Testament. He was the man that God used to plant churches throughout the known world. He was a man who brought either revival or a riot wherever he went, right? If Paul showed up, the the town got stirred up. 
And you got to love the Apostle Paul because he was a man that was used in such a mighty way by God. And he was a great champion of the faith. And many would even say that he would be the, the ultimate picture of a Christian. But you know what? He didn't start that way, did he? And it's good. It's a good encouragement for all of us because he that's been forgiven much loves much. And he was Saul of Tarsus before he was the Apostle Paul. It says in Acts 8, now Saul was consenting to his death. That's the death of Stephen. He was holding the coats of the people who stoned Stephen to death. Now imagine how he must have felt later when he got saved to think about the fact that he held the coats while the very first martyr of Christianity outside of Christ himself was stoned to death. He took an active role in that. That was Saul of Tarsus. We know later in in Acts it says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Saul of Tarsus was arch enemy number one of the Christian church. This was the guy that was feared by by many Christians, and he was the guy that many of them probably weren't even praying for his salvation, probably praying for his death, if anything. As a matter of fact, when he did get saved later on the road to Damascus, they brought him to Ananias, and the Lord said to Ananias, I want you to disciple him. I want you to lay hands on him. And Ananias thought, well, yeah, I'll lay hands on him. (laughs) Quickly and repeatedly and fervently, right? (laughs) You know, this is for my buddy Stephen, you know what I'm saying? But the apostle Paul became a mighty man of God, and it's such an encouragement to know that, again, he that's been forgiven much, loves much. He went from, again, the greatest enemy to Christianity to the champion of the faith. And how did it happen? He got knocked off his high horse by riding on the road to Damascus. He's on his way to persecute the church, and Jesus shows up and knocks him off his high horse or his high donkey, depending on what you think he was riding. And as he's laying there, the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it tells us that when people persecute the church, they're persecuting Jesus. When people come after his children, they're coming after him. And you moms and dads, is that true or what? Someone comes after your kids, you'd just assume they came after you instead. And this is the heart of our Lord, and Paul gets knocked off his high horse, he spends three years being discipled, and then he goes out and has three missionary journeys that are documented in Scripture throughout the book of Acts, the second half of the book of Acts is all about the Apostle Paul, and we see him planting churches again all over the known world. Well, in the middle of that, he goes to Lystra, and while there... I believe, many believe, he led a young man by the name of Timothy to faith in Christ. Now, he may have been saved already. His mom, we know, was, was also a, a Jewish believer. His father was a Greek who did not know God. At least we don't have evidence of it. And so he was half Greek, half Jew. He comes to know the Lord. And Paul continually refers to him as his son in the faith. Timothy, Timothy is his precious son in the faith. I believe the most intimate relationship that he had was the relationship that he had with Timothy. Now, Timothy had walked with him, joined him on his second missionary journey, spent time with him, so he had seen firsthand some of the things Paul went through, but I want us to be reminded real quickly of some of the things Paul went through, because Paul, again, was a man used mightily by God, and often we want Paul's testimony, but we don't want Paul's tests, right? We want to have the the fruit of his ministry, but we don't want to have to go through the trials he went through. And I want to read to you just quickly. I know it's a, it's a portion of Scripture all very familiar with. Don't turn there, because that's a cardinal rule. I just take you to the text and leave you there, all right? You can look it up later. But 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says this to the Apostle Paul. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And not stoned like in Santa Cruz stoned. They threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. And I believe it was there at Lystra that the Lord actually caught him up into the third heaven. And he came back down. And what did he do after being stoned and left for dead? He went right back into the city and kept preaching the gospel. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. I'd, I'd stop getting on boats. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things that come upon me daily. This is the Apostle Paul. Now, notice... That God, that God uses most mightily, most often those who are the most broken. Those who are the most desperate. A man or a woman is the only thing that becomes more valuable when broken. Everything else when it's broken, you, you, know, you sell it at the swap meet for a quarter or something. You get rid of it. You throw it in the dumpster. But you know what? A man or a woman when broken becomes more valuable in the eyes of God. And that's the Apostle Paul. And he looks at Timothy as his dear son in the faith. I don't know anybody like him, he says in other letters. This is my precious son, Timothy. And so now he's writing this letter to Timothy because Timothy, at this point, is actually discouraged. He's pastoring the church in Ephesus, and he's discouraged. And you know what? That's what happens often with young pastors. Old pastors as well. That's why I need to be praying for him, amen? And the truth is that especially in a case where he goes into a city, and remember, what was Ephesus known for? You guys remember? It was a city that worshipped the goddess Diana. And they had silversmiths who made these little statues and little idols. And you know what? Paul came into town and started preaching against the goddess Diana. And what happened? Riot. And why did they riot? Because he was blowing their gig, their chance to make a lot of money. You know, if you're selling little idols and... He, and Somebody comes in and preaches against the idols and people start burning their idols and breaking them and burning their books of witchcraft. You're, you see your, your you know, livelihood flashing before your eyes. So they, all, they call all the people in the center of town and they start crying out, Great is the goddess Diana! Great is the goddess Diana! And by the way, you can scream a lie as loud as you want and as long as you want and it's still a lie. Amen? Because Diana was not great. Diana was not a goddess. Diana was something made out of a block of wood or out of metal and that's all she was. And you know what? They're stirred up and they want to kill Paul. There's this big riot, this big crowd. What does Paul want to do? Witness to them. you got to love this. He thinks, look at all the people. They're all here in one place. Now, they may have all come here to kill me, but they're all here together, so hey, this is sweet. We're having a crusade. They didn't even know it. And here I'm just going to preach the God. And you know what? He had to be delivered out of that city to be... To, to be kept from being killed. Now that is the city where Timothy is now pastor. Now some time has gone by, certainly some people have gotten saved, but guess what? Coming into that city now with some false teachers. Coming also into that city again with false doctrine and other things that were coming in. And now Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to encourage him to stand up and to not give up and not run away, but remain faithful. And this is a great encouragement to all of us, not only those of us in ministry, but all of us who would call ourselves Christians. As we're going to listen to Paul's instructions, as he pours out his heart by the Holy Spirit, know that they are not only words of exhortation for pastors, but again, for the entire church. And it's so important for all of us to hear. Within the body of Christ, there's clearly those who are, are those classifications for being a leader. And we're going to see that as we move through the book. When we get to chapter 3, we're going to see that God doesn't care about outward success, but inward character. God's not worried about how much money you make or how affluent you are or anything. Oh, by the way, if you have it, God gave it to you, so He gets the glory anyway. Amen? But the point is, it's men and women of character that God uses. Those who are broken and desperate before God and who are available to be used by Him. And we'll see that as we go through the text. So, 1 Timothy, the chapter we're going to look at this morning. The key verse of 1 Timothy, just the letter itself, is 1 Timothy 3.15. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. He's saying, I'm writing to you so you know how to function within the church. Again, do you think this would be a good letter for every church in the United States to go through? So that we would know how to function within the church. 
He'll talk about church conduct. He'll talk about doctrine. He'll talk about worship. He'll talk about leaders. He'll talk about the character that is expected of them. And again, great stuff for all of us. So if you're a note taker, we're going to go ahead and take a look at chapter 1. Lord willing, the first 11 verses this morning. And I titled the message, Fighting for the Faith. Fighting for the Faith. Because the faith was under attack. And the easiest thing to do when the world around us is coming against our relationship with God is to just run away. The easiest thing to do when you're in ministry and things get difficult is to leave. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Well, it's just tough. I'm just, it's, it's hard. You know what? If it's not tough, if you're not going through some difficulty, there must be no resistance, and that means God must not be using you very much. Amen? Because when there is resistance, remember Satan's resources are limited, and he's going to go after those that God's using. And so here's Timothy in this city, and the gospel is under attack, and as much as the The church today, the same thing is happening now. The gospel is under attack. People are taking crosses out of their church buildings. Why? Because I've heard it said just recently, the guy who wrote the the Bible, I don't want to call it that, the version of the Bible called the message, he said that the cross is a vile doctrine. If that's not enough to to have you take that Bible and throw it in the trash, I don't know what is. Not only did it take the name Lord out of the Bible over 7,000 times, and again, if you read it, that's okay. But no, it's not a, a direct translation of Scripture. It's a paraphrase. But when people start calling the cross of Christ a vile doctrine, we've missed it, haven't we? Because without the cross of Christ, none of us is going to be saved. And we need to be pointing everyone to the cross. And so this is the letter being written, and he's encouraging him to fight for the gospel. It's not easy for those who are called in this position of pastor to remain faithful. So here's the thing he's going to tell them. If you're taking notes, fighting for the faith. He's going to tell them, one, to remain faithful. Number two, to call out the false teachers. Number three, to correct false teaching. So to remain faithful, to call out the false teachers, isn't that interesting? In this world of kumbaya, right? Everybody get in a circle, and it just as long as it's... And again, I want to say this. We are all on the same side if we're preaching the same gospel. But I do not... I respect people, but I do not respect the beliefs of those who teach another gospel. I'm tired of hearing that today, that, well, we need to respect their beliefs. No, we don't. No one is burning in hell right now thankful that we respected their beliefs. Amen to that or what? And so the point is because if we love people enough, we're going to reach out to them in love. We respect the person and we love them and we're kind to them and we're gracious to them and we're not self-righteous, but we need to share the truth in love. Amen? And here's a city that, again, this is what's happening. There's false doctrine coming in. There's false teachers that are there. And it was a warning that Paul had given to the Ephesian elders again in Acts 20 as they left. He said, the wolves are coming in and they're going to come in in sheep's clothing preaching another gospel. And you know what? Just to be direct, and again, I know that surprises you when I'm direct, but here's the point. We got wolves all over the church today. Men are raising up for themselves ear ticklers who will preach anything but the cross. And you know what? We need to get back to just the simplicity and the truth of the gospel. Amen? And preach it without compromise and do it in love. Because that's where our hope is, you guys. It's in Christ. So let's begin in verse 1. Fighting for the faith. Standing firm for the truth. First of all, remain faithful. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, in these ancient letters, you'll notice that they always write who wrote it first. Why? Because they didn't want you to have to unroll. Remember, they wrote these on scrolls. This is not an email, okay? This is not being sent out quickly. He was, this is being handwritten on a scroll, and they would write who wrote it at the very top so you didn't have to unroll the entire thing to find out who was writing to you. So he says right off the bat, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But you know what? I love this because when I looked in the original language at how this is written, it's written with a, a great passion and joy because though Paul is at the end of his ministry, he's just as excited and just as blessed and just as joyous about being an apostle as when the Lord knocked him off his high horse. 
Nothing had changed. And that's how you know when someone's called. I shared with you last week that at the pastor's conference, they had me share on balancing being a husband, a father, a pastor, and working full-time because I did that for almost 18 years. And one of the things I shared with the guys is, you know what, if you're truly called, no one will have to prop you up. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have times when people need to hold up your hands and, and encourage you. But the truth is, if you're called, there's nothing anybody can do to stop you. That's the Apostle Paul. Woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. That's the Apostle Paul. And he says, I'm an apostle. The word apostle simply means one sent out by God. And he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. By the way, that's the only one you want to be an apostle of. Amen? Not an apostle of Muhammad. Not an apostle of Buddha. Or any other dead guy. Amen? But an apostle of Jesus Christ. One sent out by the Lord with a commission by Almighty God. Notice that, look what it says, by the commandment of our God, of, our, of God, our Savior. Now I love this because he was an apostle, not because men made him an apostle, or not because he made himself an apostle, but God made him an apostle. You know what? We cannot call ourselves. You can try, it won't work out too well. Have you noticed that people can get ordained through the mail now? Have you seen this? You can, you, know, you can be ordained to do weddings and all kinds of stuff for like 35 bucks. Now, does that mean you're really ordained by God because you got a piece of paper that says some, somebody somewhere made some money ordaining you? Of course not. And the same is true even if you've gone to Bible college, even if you've gone through seminary, or cemetery as my dad called it when he went through it. Now, there's nothing wrong. Hey, guys, we have Bible college classes here. I'm all for Bible college. Amen? All for it. But know this. Equipping doesn't equal calling. God doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. Amen? Amen? Now, should we all study to show ourselves approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? You bet. Every single one of us ought to know the word. But you know what? We need to make sure we're not blown away by education. We need to look for those people who've been hanging out with Jesus and are filled with the Spirit of the living God and who have God's calling upon their life. Amen? Amen. That's the Apostle Paul. Called by God. And I love this. He says, by the commandment of God, our Savior. Now, in that very day, the man who was ruling in Rome's name was Nero. Ever heard of him? Wicked man. Used to cover Christians in pitch and set them out and light them on fire to light up his garden as he would ride through it naked horseback. Guy was a mess. Now, Nero required that people call him Savior. The people had to call him Savior. And I love the Apostle Paul in his letter that he writes, writes, by the commandment of God, our what? Savior. Who's the Savior? God's our Savior. Not Nero, not any man, God. Amen? And I love how God and Jesus are interchangeable in this text. Why is that important? Because Jesus is God. Amen? Amen. And because God is our Savior. God the Father is our Savior. Right here in this text, that's what it says. By God our Savior. Why? Because if He didn't send His Son, we wouldn't be saved. Amen? So praise the Lord for His love and His grace. And Paul making it very clear as he starts off this letter that he's been sent by God. And notice, he's giving the authority by which he's writing. He's an apostle of the Lord. These are not the opinions of Paul. I'm tired of hearing that also. Recently, I just... Oh, that's just Paul's opinion. That's just Paul's opinion. You know, that's what Paul thinks. Uh, No, this is the Word of God, amen? Amen. 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, 1,500 years, one central theme, no contradictions. How is that possible? God wrote it, it, amen? And so that's why we can trust all of it. And so the Apostle Paul was just the instrument through which God was writing this letter. He's the one sent out by God, anointed by God, gifted by God, and he's writing this letter, again, a personal letter to encourage his son in the faith, but at the same time, it's a message for all the church to hear. He says there, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Amen to that. Who's our hope? Jesus is our hope. Guys, who is our hope when We're about to take our last breath. Who is it? It's Jesus. The word hope there is expectation or confidence. He is our confidence. He is our expectation. You know what? I know that 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 I'm going to heaven. And you know what? That is so good, isn't it? 
Not because of who I am, but because of who He is. And I'll tell you what, it takes all the problems of this world and makes them nothing. Because you realize where you're headed. Christians die well, amen? Because it isn't death, it's just moving day to a much better neighborhood. And we're just so blessed to know that. I keep telling my wife, just put me in a U-Haul box and leave me on the curb. Because it's moving day, amen? Spend the money on Bibles, don't spend it on some casket and drop me in the ground. I don't need it. But here's the thing. All of our hope, all of our expectations, all of the joy, everything, it's wrapped up in Christ. Because we know Him, we have joy. If you don't know Christ, you can't have joy. If you're here today and you've not been born again, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And the Lord loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. And that's why He came. But I want you to be encouraged to know that He is a God of love and grace and mercy. And where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. No matter what you've done, He loves you. No matter what you've done, He'll forgive you. And you know what? He can be your hope too before you walk out of the building. Amen? Amen. He's our hope. Colossians 1.27 sums it up. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in me is the hope of glory. This is the Apostle Paul's heart. He's an apostle called by God, by the commandment of God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. These would be words of encouragement to discourage Timothy. He's just writing his name and he's already telling him, Jesus Christ, our hope. Remember, Timothy, that our hope is in Christ. It's not in the people in your church right now that are a mess. It's not in the stuff that's going on in Ephesus. Your hope is in Christ and He's never changing. Your circumstances will change, but your Savior never will. And we need to remember that's where our hope is. Verse 2. To Timothy, a true son in the faith. As I said, Timothy was a son of a, a Greek unbelieving father more than likely and a believing Jewish mother. Her name was Eunice. He also had a grandmother named Lois who was a, was a believer as well. And he, his family lived in Lystra. And again, that was the place where I believe that Paul led him to Christ. That's why he calls him his son in the faith. Now, we don't know that for sure, but we definitely know that he's the one that raised him up in the faith. He was the one who discipled him. He poured his life into Timothy. And he took Timothy with him as he went out into ministry. Starting at the, during his second missionary journey, Timothy began to travel with him. A true son in the faith. This speaks of the depths of their relationship. And I just love that, that intimacy. And you know what? We need more of that in the church today. Do you have a Paul? Do you have a Timothy? If you don't, why not? God's called us to go therefore into all the world and make what? Disciples. Not converts. Disciples. A disciple just means a learner. And so that means we all should be making disciples. We should be investing our lives in others. Ministering to each other. And you know what? Here's the truth, you guys. And this isn't a cop-out. The pastors can't do it all. Nor should we. Amen? Just because that's our calling and our gifting doesn't mean that we should be doing it all. We shouldn't be. You know what? Can I tell you the thing that blesses me so much I can hardly stand it? Is when I am here after church on Sunday or Wednesday and I see people in groups praying with each other. Man, that just blesses me. More importantly, it blesses our Father. And often it's people I know didn't know each other prior to them talking. And they're ministering to each other and encouraging each other. Guys, we're all in the ministry, amen? We've all been called by God. Your calling may be different than mine or different than the person sitting next to you, but we're all called. And here's Timothy, his son in the faith, and he's investing in his life. He's discipled him and preparing him that he might be the one to take the torch from Paul in a sense. Be the one to then be the pastor to these precious saints. He spent much of his adult life with Paul. God had knit their hearts together. And God desires that we too would have Paul's and Timothy's. Those who are discipling and those that are discipling us. Then it says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. The word grace there is the Greek word keros, which is what they would say in the morning. When they greeted each other. And they would say it in Greek. And what's interesting, the word peace is shalom in Hebrew. So it's grace and peace. Whether you're Greek or whether you're a Jew, it's grace and peace. And guys, why is it always in that order? Because without grace, there can be no peace. Amen? Amen. It's through the grace of God we can experience peace with God. 
We can have intimate fellowship with the Lord, but it only comes not by our good works, but by His great grace. Now what's interesting, the only place where you see Him putting the word mercy in the middle of grace and peace is in the pastoral epistles. What's He saying? Mercy on you, pastor. Bro. Grace, and you know you need some mercy, brother, because I know what it's like to have those people that you're ministering to and they're just not getting it. But he, get, he encourages them with mercy. Now what is grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And I'm glad for both of those. Amen? Amen. Mercy is keeping me out of hell and grace is giving me heaven and I like both of those things. Amen? Amen. It's grace and mercy that brings about peace. It's a result of grace and mercy. Verse 3. As I urged you, when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. Now, why would he have to say to him, remain in Ephesus? Because he wants to leave. You don't encourage someone to stay who's already planning on staying. Now, this is Timothy, his son in the faith. He's walked with Paul. He's been in several of these situations with Paul. He's seen the mighty hand of God at work. But you know what? All of a sudden, he's the senior pastor in Ephesus, and things aren't going so well. And this is a great word of encouragement for every young pastor, or everybody starting out in a new ministry. Remain. Remain. Keep doing it. Don't give up. Don't stop. He warned him again in Acts 20 that false teachers would come. And he charged Timothy to take leadership, to deal with those who were teaching this false doctrine. And again, it seems that Timothy wanted to leave, having not fulfilled all that he was called to do. Paul implores him. And the word there for remain, it's a, it's a, a word of great exhortation. A word of great, imagine Paul exhorting people. But here's Paul, a great exhortation. He's saying, stay there. Don't leave. Don't leave until you're done with what God has called you to do. Sometimes we can make the mistake of thinking that the only command the Holy Spirit gives us is to go. Sometimes he says, stay. Amen? And too often I hear people say, oh, the Spirit's moving. Well, sometimes the Spirit's moving, telling you, stay right where you're at, keep doing what you're doing. You may not see fruit right now, you just keep being faithful. Because the fruit's not up to you anyway, it's up to God. But the faithfulness... Your part is up to you. Now, he's going to implore him, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. The word charge there is command. It's a military term. He says, I want you to remain and I want you to command those guys who are teaching a false gospel, a false doctrine, to stop it. Now, today in the politically correct society we live in, that probably wouldn't go over too well. But the point is that we need to stand up and say when someone's teaching a lie that it's a lie. You know, every time I say something about a cult, people get mad at me. I had a lady not long ago that got really mad at me because she thought I wasn't being respectful enough of the Hindus. I said, look, I go to India every year because I have a burden for Hindu people and I want to see them saved. But that doesn't mean that Hinduism isn't a lie because it is. How can you have many gods in one God? You go to India, they have 10 million gods. How can you even know the names of one-tenth of your gods? They've got a god for everything. But you know what? They don't know the true and living God. So we need to introduce them to the true and living God. Amen? Amen. But people get upset because we're so politically correct today that we don't want to call a lie a lie anymore. Well, it's just their version of the truth. No, it's a lie. Amen? And the Apostle Paul's telling them, look, these guys who are teaching another doctrine, you need to tell them to stop it. You need to get up and say, that's a lie, stop it. That's not acceptable. We're not going to have, have people saying that here. It's interesting, I was talking to a guy who serves in a ministry here in town. He's actually a friend of mine. But he thought it would be really great if a church staff had like eight pastors who all had totally different doctrinal beliefs all in the same church, and then they could just take turns teaching and you get all points of view. I said, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. You know, you'd have a bunch of confused people. You can't have eight things that are equally true. Amen? So that means you know for a fact you're teaching seven lies. Amen? 
We need, now get, again, you've heard me say it. When we get to heaven, all of us are going to get our theology straightened out. Amen? Amen. None of us has a per, you know, oh, I got all of it right, and you guys are just dumb, and I, right? No, that's not it. But here's the thing. We ought to study to show ourselves approved. We need to know what the Word of God says, and then when we understand what the Word of God says, let's teach it with authority. Because God is the one who is the authority, not man. Amen? So he tells him to stay. He says, look, I know there's greater responsibility. I know there's greater pressures. And I don't, not only do I want you to stay, but I want you to command those guys who are teaching the false gospel to stop it. Now, you know, Timothy already wants to leave. These are probably not real encouraging words. He may be thinking, I'm just not Paul. You know, I hung out with that guy. That guy's bold, man. I'm not quite that guy. You know, Paul, man, that guy had rocks thrown at him and went back in the city. I would have left, you know. I mean, he's thinking, I can't measure up to that guy. You know, it's interesting. I, I you know, served as an assistant at two different Calvary chapels. And early on, I made the mistake of thinking I had to be like my pastor. And you know what? Guys, you need to be what God's called you to be. You know, people for years were mimicking Billy Graham. You know, they'd go to a school and they'd all start talking like Billy Graham, wave their hand like Billy Graham and try to be Billy Graham. You know what? God has one Billy Graham that's all he needs. He wants one of you. And we don't need to mimic Pastor Chuck and he's gifted and called by God or anybody else. We just need to be faithful to use the gift God's given us. Be obedient to use that. And Timothy was a little overwhelmed. He was discouraged. He's wanting to leave. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging him to stay. It's interesting if you read a book called Calvary Distinctives. And if you haven't, let me encourage you to read it. We've got it in the bookstore. If you can't afford it, I'll give you a copy. Now, now I'm in trouble with the bookstore, but that's all right. You can't fire me. We don't do that around here. So here's the thing. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to read it. Because it just talks about what we're about. And again, we're not of Calvary Chapel, we're of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But if you just want an idea of what we're about, what our passion is, why we teach verse by verse, what the whole thing is. But there's a chapter in there that talks about, because it's written mainly to pastors, about how after two years, so many guys want to quit when they go out to plant a church. Because the first two years are very, very hard. You're taking a pick into very hard ground. And after two years, they all want to quit. And many of them call Chuck, and Chuck says, I tell them all the same thing. Wait one more year. Stay there one more year. And that's kind of the message that Paul's given Timothy. Stay there one more year. Just stay there and keep doing what God's called you to do. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't back down. Remain faithful. It would be so much easier to quit. But we can't just run every time we face a problem or we're going to be running all the time. Amen? And he said, I want you to command, not only stay, but command those who are teaching a false doctrine that they need to stop. So not only did he command him or call him to remain faithful, but he said, I want you to call out the false teachers. Timothy was urged to remain faithful when he felt like he wanted to quit, but he he encouraged him to fight for the faith and to call out the false teachers, to charge, to stand up and command them to stop. No other doctrine, it says there in that verse. What does doctrine mean? Here's a simple way of thinking. It just means biblical truth. Have them teach no other biblical truth. Because there is only one biblical truth. And when they try to make there be multiple biblical truths, that by by its very nature is impossible. So Paul did this because doctrine is vitally important to God. And what you believe is what you would call your doctrine today. And the spirit of that age was heavily influenced by what truth is. Isn't Isn't that what's going on in the world today? What is the truth? Oh, well, it's all relative. I think I told you that story about being in college. I had a philosophy class. I lasted about a week and a half. I had to drop it. I couldn't take it. But my philosophy teacher said at Cabrillo College, if anybody here can define truth, anybody thinks there's absolute truth and you can define it, stand up and I'll make a fool out of you. I'm thinking, okay. Because there is no absolute truth. And so I... And it happened to be a game day, which didn't help, so I had my football jersey on. And, he, and I stood up and he said, okay, big dumb jock in the back, define truth for us. And I just simply said, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, so Jesus Christ is the truth. I was waiting for an argument, and he just moved on to the next topic. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Guys, there is absolute truth and his name is jesus 
And the point he's making very clearly here is that there aren't multiple doctrines, multiple truths, multiple... He said, anybody who teaches any other truth but Jesus Christ the way, the truth, and the life, you command them to stop. And I'm exhorting you to do so. Now again, whenever we do anything, we should always do it in love. Amen? We should always reflect the Savior. But I think we need a little more Apostle Paul in the church today. We need a little more, again, in love, not standing with a blowhorn, you're all going to fry, that's not real effective. (laughs) Not real effective. Do it in love, but you know what? We need to love people enough to care that they're headed to hell without Jesus Christ. And to care enough that we we won't even be embarrassed if that's what it takes. Even be challenged, and maybe you have them ask us a question we don't know the answer to. So not only to call out the false teachers, but also to correct the false teaching. Again, when it would be more politically correct, there's a servant on the roof covering up the roof. When it should be more politically correct to accept what others teach and believe is equally acceptable, he says, don't do that. Look at verse 4. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Fables. The word fable in Greek is muthos, which where we get the word myth. And he says, don't give heed to myths. Want me to name some myths for you? Joseph Smith saw an angel called Moroni who gave him a whole new translation of the Bible because the Bible was messed up. He gave him these special glasses so he could see things and he gave him this whole new... That's a myth. That's a fable. The fact that people saw different prophets and gave them a new gospel and gave them a new message. You know, isn't it interesting? In Galatians 1, 8 says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. I think that verse was just written for Joseph Smith. The Bible says, even if an angel comes, yeah, I saw an angel, Italian angel, Moroni, right? I saw an angel. And he gave me a new gospel. And you know, the sad, here's the sad part. Here's the heartbreaking part. Millions of people are following it. We need to pray for them. Amen? He says, don't give heed to myths. Don't give heed to these false things being taught. You know, and there's some more things. Let me say this, too. There are things within the church today that are just flat-out myths. Have you heard this? The lost years of Jesus. Well, between 12 and 30, we don't see him in the Bible. He went to India and he was studying with the guru. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. These other fables. What about Bible codes? Guys, read the Bible itself and quit trying to find codes behind the Bible. The Bible is enough. Amen? Well, if you take the numbers and you... Oh, stop it. Just read the words. Have you got the words nailed yet? Amen? You've got to find something underneath it. Oh, there's this code in there. Oh, stop. The Word of God. What, he was waiting thousands of years till we got a code together and we could... De- God's not hiding from us. Amen? It's not encrypted in the Word. It's very clear. All of sin to come short of the glory of God. What kind of code we need for that? The wages of sin is death. No code for that. But Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that pretty easy to understand? Don't need any codes, don't need a decoder, don't need any, you know, logarithm or anything else. Just there it is. It's right out in front of us. What about some of these new waves coming through the church? This is nonsense. Laughing in the Spirit. Have you seen this? People start laughing, they just roll, laugh, ah, they're out of control. People so drunk in the spirit, they have to sleep overnight at the church in the drunk tank because they're spiritually drunk. That is not in the Bible. These are fables and myths that people bring along, take you away from the word of God. Guys, this is stick to the Bible. Amen? Quit looking for some new thing. Put a stop to such fables, he says. Put a stop to it. Don't promote it. Endless genealogies. Now this speaks of trying to find something in Scripture that isn't there. They would take the genealogies, and there are some ancient Jewish writings that have been discovered, which delve into the most complex genealogies, connecting them with wild speculations about spiritual mysteries held inside the genealogies. Again, the Bible code, nothing new under the sun. And he says, don't get caught up in endless genealogies. Don't try to find something in the text that isn't there. By the way, If it's new, it's not true. 
And if it's true, it's not new. Amen? If nobody else found it in 2,000 years, it's not there. Too often people are trying to find the wow in the text. I want to find something no one else has ever found before. It's not there. Just teach what is there. Amen? Quit trying to, I want to just discover something no one else has seen. Just teach the simple truth of what's right in front of you. Amen? Instead of trying to make a name for yourself. People have done that, and they're called Joseph Smith and Charles Taze Russell, Jehovah's Witness. Don't do that. Don't try to find something new in Scripture that's not there. Just teach what is. And it says there, don't get caught up in these myths. Don't get caught up in these endless genealogies trying to find things in Scripture that aren't there, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in the faith. You know what happens when we try to find some special thing? When we follow after myths and follow after things that aren't clear in Scripture, we bring division to the body of Christ. And God's desire, wouldn't it be great if we would just unite in the simplicity of the gospel? And those secondary issues that are non-essentials, let's just put them aside and let's unite in the gospel. Because when we get to heaven, it's not going to matter whether or not you had drums in your worship team. Amen? Not going to matter whether or not you wear a tie to church on Sunday or if you sit in pews or chairs or, you know, these things that people get caught up. Who cares? That doesn't matter. What matters is what are we doing with Jesus? What are we done with God's Son? And we should not divide the body of Christ over secondary issues. Now look at the purpose of the commandment. Look what he says. Now the purpose of the commandment. Why is he commanding him to have them teach no other doctrine? Why is there the purpose of the law itself? Why was it given? Why was the Word of God given? And he tells them the answer. The answer is this. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere faith. Guys, the purpose of the Word of God is not just outward adherence to the law, but it's a transferred heart from the inside out. Quit trying to be holy and just start falling in love with Jesus. You know, because when you fall in love with Him, you will be holy. You'll start walking in holiness. Because it's not an outside-in transformation, it's an inside-out transformation. You can, you know, I'm going to try harder and do better and stop. And, and again, we should be exhorted to, again, walk in holiness, but know that the source of walking holy is the Lord, not our efforts. Now, why does the law exist? The law, he says, the purpose of the commandment is love. The reason that, again, we should be touched by the word is that the love of God might pour from us. And you know what? When you're walking with the Lord, you walk with a pure heart, don't you? If you don't know God, you can't have a pure heart. You're struggling. If you don't know God, you can't have a good conscience. The word conscience, you've heard me say it before, is the Holy Spirit with an unsaved world. How do they know right and wrong without the Holy Spirit? They couldn't. Holy Spirit is with you, in you, or upon you. He's in you at salvation, upon you at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And He's with the world. That's how they know right and wrong. And the only way you can have peace with your conscience or with the Holy Spirit is if you've been born again and He now dwells inside of you. Amen? That's why the the Word has come that we can have peace with God through the Holy Spirit. And he says, and from sincere faith. The word sincere there is where we get the word, the opposite of it would be hypocrite. You know, where someone puts on an act and puts on a mask and pretends to be something they're not. And he's saying here that we need to walk in a sincere faith. Sincere. That people can see the Lord in us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... Word of God. You want to have sincere faith? Spend more time in God's Word. Real faith is not an act. Verse 6. From which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk. The result of straying from the Word of God is nothing more than idle talk. Idle talk. The word in Greek is meaningless babble. When you turn away from the Word of God, anything else you've got to say is meaningless babble. That's what this verse says. So when you get guys on TV who are proclaiming to be Christian pastors who don't teach the Word of God, what is it? Meaningless babble. Ouch. Pastor Dave got to be like that. Here's the truth. Don't you hear some people that's just meaningless babble? You're like, dude, throw in a verse. Feel free. They'll get up and say, this is my Bible. There are many like it, but this one is mine. Then they'll put it down and never look at it again. Amen? 
The truth is, guys, we need to teach the Word of God and not seven steps to financial freedom and how to overcome your anger and, you know, just the positive energy and the, you know, I see the cross, I see a big plus symbol. That's what Robert Schuller said. It's not a big plus symbol. It's the place our Savior died that we might have eternal life. And it's, it is nothing more than babbling when we preach anything but the cross, when we point to anything but the Word of God. Amen? Why do... Where do we get off thinking we know better than God? Oh, well, you know, God put it down in writing and he put it in order for us and it's all laid out, but, you know, I've got a better way. Who, who do you think you are? You're not God, amen? And God knows best. Let's just read his word, amen? And let's just read all of it in the way that he gave it to us. Instead of the latest prepackaged series or the, the prosperity drop-in or the secret sensitive message or the self-esteem message, which is huge today. That's idle talk and meaningless babble. There can be no conversion apart from conviction. Let's finish up. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. They want to be teachers of the law and they don't know what they're talking about. That's what he says. They're ignorant. Again, why are they teachers? Maybe because they're very charismatic. Maybe because they can draw a crowd. Maybe because they're really funny. But where's the message? Where's the Word of God? We'd be better off to have somebody get up who could barely talk and just have them open up the Bible and read it at a whisper than have the most charismatic guy in the world get up and share what he thinks. Amen? Amen? Amen. And that's where we need to get away from that babbling and get, quit being caught up in all that, that zeal without knowledge, that ignorance. And sadly, what was happening is they were affirming the very things that they did not even understand. And this group, one of the groups he's talking about here, we're going to finish up these last four verses, is the Judaizers who were adding to the cross. Because you got two things. you got people that teach myths that add to the gospel, and then you got things, people that believe it. They say they believe in the cross, but they want to add to it to make salvation real. Jesus plus something else. The Jesus plus something people. But you know what, guys? It's Jesus plus nothing. When you add to the cross, you make Jesus a liar. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He didn't say there's a good start. Amen? He didn't say that's step one of 12. He said, it's finished. And aren't you glad? Let's read these last few verses. Look at verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So the law is good, but there's a reason for the law. What is the law for? Why did God give us the law? Can the law save you? No. The law cannot save you. You know what it can do? Reveal your need for a Savior. Look at verse 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners. So the law was written for sinners. Why? So that they will see that they are sinners in need of a Savior. And then he groups the sins together. And you're going to read through this list and start to feel pretty good about yourself maybe through part of it. Because look at the first ones. Unholy and profane murderers. I never, I never, murderers of mothers and fathers. Never did that. Right? Murders of mothers and fathers. Okay. Manslayers. Never slaughtered anybody. Fornicators. Uh oh. The word fornicate there means to have sex with someone outside of marriage, but Jesus later said if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. Right? How many people in this room have lusted in your heart in your lifetime? Open your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, and if not, wow, okay? God bless you. But here's the truth. This is starting to hit home. Now, it says fornicators, sodomites, that's speaking of homosexuality. Then he says kidnappers. Oh, I'll never kidnap anybody. Liars. Liars is on the same list with murderers, kidnappers, and homosexuals. I was feeling good about myself. I didn't even raise my hand at the last one, but liars? You ever exaggerated once about anything? You ever let anybody believe something that wasn't true? You know what you are? How many, how many murders does it take to be a murderer? How many lies does it take to be a liar? One. Guess who's in this list? Everybody in the room. But you know why we're on the list? So that we will see that we can't do it ourselves. We need Jesus. The answer is not getting to the place where you can fulfill the list. He covers the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, mother and father. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. They're all listed in the sins listed here. 
But most importantly is the understanding that sin separates us from God. It says, for perjurers, that's liars, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So if you got through that whole list and you didn't find anything, it says anything contrary to sound doctrine, anything else in the word of God that you don't measure up to, that makes you a sinner. Now the good news is, look at verse 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which has, was committed to my trust. Guys, whenever we see the law, which is a mirror that reveals our sin, you take the mirror off the wall and you can see the blemish on your face. You can see the, the frailties. You can see the, the imperfections. But you know what? You cannot take the mirror and then rub your face with it. It's not going to take the blemish away. Amen? Amen? The law reveals the sin, but it cannot cleanse you. That's why you see the law and the gospel tied together throughout Scripture. Because without the law... The gospel would simply be a free gift that nobody would think they needed. Right? People would say, oh yeah, it's a free gift, but I'm good. I'm I'm a good person. Hold up the mirror of the law and find out you're not a good person. We're wicked and perverse above all things and we're in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? Amen. You won't hear that at the positive church. (laughs) But that's what we are. Amen? Amen. We're, We're in desperate need of a Savior. The good news is that God put them together for a reason because once we see that we are sinners, He comes right back with the gospel of for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here today and you raised your hand, we talked about sinners. Who's, who's paying for your sin? He is if you ask Him. But if you haven't, you are. Amen? You know what? The Lord loves you. He brought you here by divine appointment. Today's the day of salvation. And I want to encourage you to not leave here without Him. So in this morning's text, Paul urged Timothy to remain faithful when it would be so much easier to quit. To call out false teachers when it would be easier just to mind his own business. To correct false teaching when it would be a lot more easy and more politically correct to just accept what others teach and believe is equally acceptable to the truth you teach. Just don't rock the boat, man. Just go with the flow. Let's all sing kumbaya. It's all good. But no, it's not because people are dying and going to hell without Jesus. And nothing the enemy wants more than us just to accept the lie as being the truth. It's not. Jesus Christ alone is the truth. That's very narrow, Pastor. I'm glad it's so narrow because I'd miss it otherwise. Aren't you glad there aren't 500 paths to choose from? I wouldn't pick any one of them. I'd mess it up. I'm so glad that he says the door's right there. Go through it. And it's so sad that this building could be on fire, the door could be right there and be open, and people would say, well, I just, you know, that's one door. I, you know, I know the building's on fire, and i got moments to live, but I, I want another way. Can I tunnel under the, the, the hardwood? Is there a way I can climb? You know what? God's given us a clear path. Let's just take it. Amen? Amen? Let's not argue with Him about it. Understand He's a loving, gracious, heavenly Father. We deserve to spend eternity separated from God, but He loves us enough that He'd rather die than live without us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for the exhortation given to Timothy here. But Lord, may it be an encouragement to all of us in the body of Christ. Lord, may we first love people the way You love them. But Lord, may we love them enough to share Your truth in love without compromise. Lord, to point them to the way and the truth and the life. Lord, if there's even one person here this morning that doesn't know You, I pray and ask in Jesus' name you'd soften their heart and open their eyes right now to their need for you as Lord and Savior. That they would not walk out of here without you. With every head bowed and just be praying if you're a believer already for those here who don't know the Lord. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, God brought you here by divine appointment. He wants you to know how much He loves you. And the Bible says again that today's the day of salvation. I'm not asking you to join a church or be part of anything else. We don't, we don't even need to know your name necessarily. But here's what we do want you to do. What the Lord would ask you to do is just confess you're a sinner and ask Him to be your Savior. And He will forgive you. He that's been forgiven much loves much. And you know what? You will be forgiven much if you will simply ask Him to forgive you. No matter what you've done. You might say, well, Pastor, you don't understand what my past is like. Look at Saul of Tarsus and the man he became. God can do great and awesome things with you and in you. If it's your desire today to know for sure that you're going to heaven, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and We're going to pray with you, and it's just a simple prayer of saying, yes, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. 
I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. Will you come into my life and be my Savior? It's that simple. If it's your desire to walk out of here and know for sure you're going to heaven, I just want you to raise your hand right now so we can pray with you. God bless 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 you. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Today's the day of salvation. Nothing more important in eternity than this, what you do with Jesus Christ. He loves you guys. He's a faithful God. Anybody else? God bless you, bro. Anybody else? Those of you who raised your hand, I want you to pray with me. Just repeat after me these words. And you know what? The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. He hung on a cross for you. You can open up your mouth and speak these words for him in front of a crowd that's cheering for you. So just repeat these words with me, those many of you who've raised your hand this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sins to make me a new creation in Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. I believe that He is the only way. I believe that He died and that He rose again. I believe that He's coming back for me. Thank You, Lord, for forgiving me. Help me, Lord, to walk with You. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen.